Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning again. We addressed the issues in Afghanistan at the top of the first hour. So encourage you, if you missed it, to go and listen to the podcast of that hour, which will be posted at MyFaithRadio.com later today. The U.S. Supreme Court in a 6-3 ruling has blocked President Biden's unconstitutional eviction ban. You will want to um, apprise yourself of information related to that if you are Uh, A landlord, if you uh, are a property owner who has renters, and if you are a renter who has been availing yourself of um, the eviction moratorium, you're going to want to know that the U.S. Supreme Court has blocked uh, what they ruled in a 6-3 verdict to be an unconstitutional ban on evictions. So that's going on. Um, Let me uh, highlight this one news item out of Harvard University. And let me start by reminding us why Harvard University was established in the first place. So Harvard was established to educate ministers. Um, It adopted the motto, Truth for Christ and the Church. It's named after a pastor, John Harvard. Um, And for its first 70 years, Harvard's president was also always a member of the ordained clergy. Um, Harvard was established so that there would be an educated clergy in this country, you know, in the new America. So we're talking about, you know, the 1630s. And for nearly four centuries, um, you know, Harvard has been on what then I would describe as a liberalizing trend. And we have arrived this week at something that I think is worth pointing out on the campus of Harvard University. They have selected as their chief of chaplains. Now, first of all, they don't just have one chaplain. They have more than 40 university chaplains who lead Christian, Jewish, Hindu, Buddhist, and many other religious communities on the campus. But many of the people who are chaplains on Harvard's campus are not people of faith, but people of no faith. And they have now selected as their chief of chaplains an atheist. Uh, He wrote a book called Good Without God, and his selection was unanimous. Uh, This is what Mr. Epstein, the new chief of chaplains at Harvard University, has said. There is a rising group of people who no longer identify with any religious tradition, but still experience a real need for conversation and support around what it means to be a good human and live an ethical life. Mr. Epstein was uh, raised, according to the New York Times article that I'm reading about him, uh, raised in a Jewish household. He has been Harvard's humanist chaplain since 2005. So for the last uh, 16 years, he has been teaching students on the campus of Harvard University, not only about the progressive movement 
this is their language, not mine, that centers people's relationships with one another, centers people's relationships on one another instead of on a relationship with God. And how do the other chaplains feel about being led by an atheist? Well, it is the other chaplains who unanimously elected an atheist as their chief. Next up, we got Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families plugged in because sometimes there's just not anything more to say about something. We'll be right back. from Focus on the Families Plugged In, an organization that is not experiencing mission drift. Welcome back, sir. Carmen, always great to talk to you on a Friday morning. So great to talk with you. All right, give us the movie reviews for this week. Let's start with the Loud House movie on Netflix. You know, this is the second week in a row we have had a Nickelodeon animated show that is making the jump, not necessarily to the bigger screen, but to a bigger story. Um... The Loud House is a popular show on Nickelodeon, and this movie-length story revolves around one of the 11 Loud children. Loud is their last name. Lincoln Loud, as it turns out, is the only boy among the 11 children. The other 10 girls are all um, dynamic star performers in their own right and uh, very special and unique and cherished. Lincoln kind of gets lost in the mix. And he would really like to figure out what makes him special, makes him stand out. And so he begins digging into his family history, the loud family history, and finds out there's a connection to Scotland. So they pack the client up and head off to Scotland and find out that they are actually royalty in a little burg known as Loch Loud. Um, And so Lincoln is very excited that perhaps he can be a duke and... This is kind of a fantasy show, and so there's a dragon. Uh, I think the biggest issue here content-wise is that uh, we have spirits of the ancestors coming back. We have ghosts. We have some kind of dark spirituality for a show that is really aimed at kids. Um, And so I think it's all you know pitched in a pretty silly kind of way. But sometimes I think when we take a serious subject and we frame it in a comedic way, that's that's problematic too. So, you know, on balance, even though this one has some nice things to say about the lessons that Lincoln learns about not wanting to be the center of attention and finding out who he truly is and what matters for him, um, uh, you know, if you want to watch an animated movie, there are better choices than this one. All right, so um, let's go then to our next review that you have teed up for me today. Um, do you want to do? Um, do you want to do? He's all that. Yeah, let's talk about he's all that. And if you saw, if you say to yourself that sounds familiar, uh, <laughs> that's because some distant part of your brain is remembering perhaps the 1999 movie She's All That. This isn't really a reboot. It's not quite a sequel. It's just sort of in the same general territory. Uh, And this movie uh, revolves around a high school girl named Padgett. And Padgett has become 
a very successful social media influencer. Um, and Paget has more than a million followers, and her specialty is taking loser guys and transforming their look and their uh, their appeal uh, to become heartthrobs. Um, now, you know, you might say to yourself, self, I'm, I'm guessing these guys were heartthrobs to begin with, but we're supposed to believe that they're not. That's correct. You know, you're, you're on the right path there. Paget finds out that one of the guys she's transformed, who is now her boyfriend, has been cheating on her. Uh, and uh, he dis she discovers his cheating in a live video, which kind of trashes her reputation. So she has to find another guy to transform, and she does. His name is Cameron. He's played by Tanner Buchanan, who's one of the main characters on Cobra Kai, if you have seen that. Um, but it takes a, a little bit of an unexpected turn in that the movie really ends up focusing on Paget's growth and her discovery that actually what matters is not the superficial stuff of makeovers and internet fame, but who somebody truly is on the inside. So there's some nice messages here as teen stuff goes these days. Um, it is slightly less problematic than a number of the other teen offerings on Netflix, uh, like the Kissing Booth franchise, for example. But we still do get some allusions to sexual activity. There's still a fair bit of profanity. So this is not squeaky clean. We're not in Disney kids territory. Um, but if your kids are asking about it, uh, you know, I would say it's sort of glass half empty, half full, right? It, it has some nice messages affirming, um, you know, looking on the inside instead of the outside. But there's still quite a bit of content to wade through here as well. All right. And then I want to um, have a brief conversation with you about a mainstream movie that releases um, tonight in theaters and envious streaming services. And it's called Ellie and Abby. I understand that it is about teen queer love. Yes. You know, we haven't reviewed this one yet. This is a, a pretty niche release. Um, but just in the research I've done about it, it looks like your typical, delightful, charming, John Hughes-esque kind of romance, except it's between two teenagers. And it, the storyline... Who are both girls. Who are both girls, exactly. Um, sorry, I, I should have pointed that out if Ellie and Abby didn't sort of clue you in on that. What I want to say about this is that we're just, we're increasingly seeing all sorts of things aimed at every audience age, from kids to teens to adults, that want us to see homosexuality in the most sympathetic light possible. Um, it's got glowing reviews all over um, Rotten Tomatoes. It's at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, which never happens. And honestly, watching the trailers, the trailer, it, it feels like both of these girls seem like very likable, relatable characters. And we have a mother who is struggling to come to grips with uh, her daughter's coming out and her daughter just wanting to have her mom accept her as she is. And so I think that we're going to continue to see this worldview um, couched in sympathetic and engaging and funny stories that mainstream critics eat up. Uh, and it only makes it more important for us to be talking with our kids about the core issues of sexuality um, and thinking about them from a Christian theological perspective, because without a, a, a pretty deep theological understanding, um, 
you're going to be swept away by the niceness of these characters and you're you're going to buy the premise that it's just love you know love is love like the bumper sticker says and how could we be against something as good and wholesome and pure as two people loving each other regardless of what their gender is i mean that's that's the message um and so we have to be able to have a sophisticated conversation about why uh even though they seem like you know, very nice people, um, and are very nice people that this is still not the way God has designed things to be, that this is a result of, of the fall and that these sorts of love relationships ultimately don't reflect, um, his character and the fact that we've been created in God's image, male and female to reflect who he is. So again, it's just the latest in a long line of, of movies and shows that are dealing with this subject, but uh, it's one that, um, you know, could influence teens who watch it. All right. I want you guys to check out um, other reviews at PluggedIn.com, including the review for The Witcher, Nightmare of the Wolf. That is a review absolutely worth reading this week. Adam Holtz and I will be right back. Continuing our conversation with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. You can find much of what we're talking about today at PluggedIn.com. All right, um, Adam, one of the things they're not going to see at PluggedIn.com is information about two movies about serial killer Ted Bundy. But yeah. I think we um, we ought to at least alert people that this is happening in the culture and give them, yep. give them a sense of what these two movies are about. Yeah, the first one is called No Man of God, and the second one is Ted Bundy, uh, American Boogeyman, and these are movies that are streaming online right now. And here's what I want to say about these: um, these, well, we're at a we're at what I feel like is a strange and maybe telling cultural moment, where true crime stuff is among the most popular content being created anywhere. It's all over cable television. If you look at the top podcasts in the nation, um, a whole bunch of them are true crime podcasts. And so I'm not sure what to make of it, but we have uh, a really sort of macabre um, fascination with these stories. And so Ted Bundy, American Boogeyman, which is streaming on Apple um, <clears throat> is one of these stories. Uh, and then the other one, I'm trying to look at where it's streaming as well. Forgive me. Um, no Man of God. <clears throat> Sorry, slow internet this morning. Uh, stars Elijah Wood as uh, an FBI investigator who is digging into the Ted Bundy story after Ted is in prison. So they they look at his life at different periods of time. And of course, um, Dr. Dobson, who founded uh, Focus on the Family, had an interview with Ted Bundy shortly before his execution. Uh, and much was made of the fact that that he had had a profession of faith at that point. And Dr. Dobson really zeroed in on the fact that pornography played a huge role as sort of a, a gateway drug to uh, the violence that Ted Bundy committed against women. Um, and I think these are movies that that 
aren't really focusing on the faith turn that Ted Bundy took at the end, but rather the horror of his crimes. And so um, I, I think I like the redemptive turn that that was taken at the end, obviously, but that's not what these stories are focusing on. And I think, you know, if we're drawn to these true crime stories, I think it's worth asking the question, what is the appeal there? What What is it about unsolved mysteries and horrible murders? And why do we want to fixate our attention on that? We only have so much time. Um, and, and I think it's worth sort of a little bit of self-dialogue with regard to what the draw is with these stories. Because I think for the most part, we're going to learn about people who make wicked decisions. But I'm not sure we need to spend time focusing on horrific stories to know that humans are capable of doing really bad things, Carmen. Yeah, totally, 100% agree. Um, all right, circling back uh, around to a story that we that we touched on last week. Um, last week, we reported that OnlyFans, which is yeah. basically a, an online platform for home-produced porn that's then sold on the Internet, um, OnlyFans um, said, hey, we're not going to, we're not going to air pornography anymore. Well, they didn't take them very long to reverse themselves. So what's going on there? Well, there were a lot of people who protested. Um, and there's a whole class of folks who in the last, I don't know, decade or so have come to be known as sex workers. Uh, and this includes prostitution. This includes people producing amateur online porn. And then obviously those who were involved in the mainstream porn business and there was just a huge outcry from users of OnlyFans saying, hey, this has become our major source of income. And even more so during the pandemic, uh, you know, when people were locked inside. Uh, and so OnlyFans has, I think, really reversed course on this. And now, they were, I think, wanting to ban that pornography in the first place for two reasons. One, because they were having a hard time getting financing from banks that were squeamish. And the reason the banks were squeamish is there have been allegations that perhaps some of the people producing these videos are not doing so willingly, but are potentially minors and women who have been sexually trafficked and potentially men who've been sexually trafficked as well. And so there is a really seedy underside here that OnlyFans, I think, was trying to address, but the pushback has been so strong that they're like, okay, all right, we will keep it as a platform to create whatever kind of pornography its users want to create. And there are so many takeaways from this, Carmen. Um, I, I think that one of them is when we talk about sex work, uh, the specter of coercion it's always just under the surface, right? The sexual trafficking story here is a huge story. And if somebody watches an explicit video, you don't necessarily know whether that person is doing it because they want to do it or whether there's somebody behind the scenes that really is forcing them to do that. And that that is a huge problem here. Uh, and so as much as people want to say, you know, sex work is just like any other work, uh, I think that as Christians, we know that it's not, that our sexuality is a part of our God-given dignity as human beings, and he has designed that for a certain context. And when we take it out of that context, 
there's all sorts of bad fruit that comes from it. Uh, but I think, again, it's another example of the mainstreaming of something that not that long ago, I think most of us could have agreed, yeah, this is not a good thing for society, but now sex work is just another kind of work. Uh, and, you know, people are really asking for the right to do that without interference. Uh, so a lot to unpack in this story. It's a disappointing story, I think, uh, because of how quickly OnlyFans has backtracked on maybe trying to put some limits in place here. And the culture said, nope, no limits. And, and that's where we're living now. So as we raise kids in that culture, we have got to be helping them develop those limits because the culture doesn't have any, Carmen. Hmm. All right, um, Adam, thank you as always so much. You guys can check out more at PluggedIn.com. we got to take a break for Breakpoint. We'll be right back. All right, you heard Adam Holt refer to the role that pornography played in the life of Ted Bundy in our conversation um, about movies related to um, one of America's most well-known serial killers. Um, pornography is is rampant in the culture today. Um, I think we're all aware of that. I think most of us don't know what to do with that. And certainly when we find out that someone in our own family is porn addicted or porn affected, we don't know where to take those questions and finding help is really hard. Um, my next guest, Ian Henderson, is the founder and CEO of the Naked Truth Project, which aims to open the eyes and free the lives of people from the damaging impact of pornography. Uh, he lives in Manchester, England, and he joins us next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Locato. For 33 years, Jesus felt everything you and I have felt. He grew weary. He was afraid of failure. He got colds, he burped, he had body odor. His feelings got hurt, his feet got tired, his head ached. Now, to think of Jesus in such a light is, well, it seems almost irreverent, doesn't it? It's uncomfortable. It's much easier to keep the humanity out of the incarnation, clean the manure from around the manger, wipe the sweat out of his eyes. He's easier to handle that way. Something about keeping him divine also keeps him distant and packaged and predictable. For heaven's sake, don't do it. Let him be as human as he intended to be. Let him into the mire and muck of our world. For only if we let him in can he pull us out. This is Max Lucado. Ian Henderson joins me now from the Naked Truth Project. We're going to talk about the P Word Conference. You can find the P Word Conference at pwordconference.com, and the P Word is pornography. Ian, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Morning. Really good to be with you today. It's probably not morning where you are. Is it no. morning or afternoon? <laughs> I, it is, it's uh, 20 to 2 in the afternoon here in lovely Manchester, UK. All right. Um, and in lovely Manchester, UK, what is the weather like today? Because, you know, this seems to be what differentiates us around the world is the weather. 
Absolutely. And us Brits, we love talking about the weather because it's so changeable. You know, it, it's a national pastime to talk about it. But um, <laughs> yeah, Manchester is um, perhaps a little bit like Seattle. It, it's famous for its rain. If it's famous for two things, Manchester, probably soccer teams and a lot of rain. But today we've got cloud, but we haven't got rain. So um, I'm, I'm winning already just just because of that. <laughs> That's so good. All right, Ian, um, I want you to tell us about the Truth Project. I want you to tell us about the P Word Conference, but I want you to start by telling people a little bit of your own story and why you are such an advocate for Christians and Christian churches to be equipped not only to come alongside people for whom pornography is a personal problem, but to come alongside families when um, pornography is discovered. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's worth saying that um, this wasn't particularly something I planned. I didn't sit down with my careers advisor at school and say, yeah, you know, as an adult, I'm, I want to start a porn project. That's that's my goal. Um, in fact, I, um, from the age of about 18 or so, I was involved in Christian ministry, working for churches, doing mission and evangelism for nonprofits. Uh, and so, yeah, really... I guess for me, pornography was an issue that I was aware of. It was certainly, you know, something that would come up every now and then in kind of discipleship sort of settings. But it certainly wasn't something I thought, yeah, this is this is a cause that I want to give my life to. I, you know, it wasn't something I felt was was that important. In fact, if I was to define pornography, I'd probably say it was something that some people struggle with sometimes. And perhaps that's how a lot of your listeners would, would think about it. They know it's there. They know it's, they know it, it must be an issue for some people, but, but that's about as close as it, it can get for lots of people. But uh, as you say, there is a there is a kind of personal um, element to to why I started the Naked Truth Project, and um, that was in 2007. Uh, my my father, who himself was a Christian, uh, active in church work, that sort of thing, um, he was actually arrested. Um, a police came to his office and uh, arrested him. And, and the reason for that was because someone had reported finding indecent images of children on his work computer. And for us as a family, as you can imagine, that was that was devastating um, time. And uh, he was convicted. He actually was at the time of his arrest, he was also diagnosed with cancer about a month or so after his arrest. And so by the time he had his trial, he he had a few weeks left to live. So he died a few weeks after his um, sentencing. But um, so as a family, we, we obviously were just trying to process that because this wasn't somebody who we imagined would, would do this. Um, but also one of the things that we realized as a family is that he had hidden for decades uh, porn use. And perhaps right towards the end, that porn use had become the, the terrible, abusive kind of content that had been found on his computer. But for many years, for decades before, it had, it had just been mainstream legal content that um, now I know billions of people are, are accessing. Um, and I think that's probably the, the other thing that happened actually in, in the same year. So 2007, um, Steve Jobs stood on a stage in California and raised up this little kind of 
rectangle that no one had seen before and said today Apple will reinvent the phone and in that same year 2007 the the iPhone was launched and the first smartphone uh, and so years later when uh, I felt God was starting to speak to me about this issue of pornography and and obviously everything that had happened with my dad in some ways didn't caused me to think about that. If anything, I wanted to avoid thinking about that, but but felt it was something God was speaking to me about. So I began to research and realized even in those short years, um, so much had shifted. The landscape had changed so much. Um, pornography was no longer something, you know, magazines hidden under a mattress. Now it was in people's hands, in people's pockets, in their purses. Uh, the shift from the sex shop to the smartphone was was a game changer. And so, for example, in 2019, um, one website, one porn site reported having 42 billion hits in that one year of 2019. Here in the UK, the government uh, released a report which said that 50% of UK adults viewed pornography during September 2020. Um, so half the UK adults were looking at porn in, in September 2020. So I think I think I a couple of things there really for me in it, it was was okay this is serious. It affects people. It, it destroys lives and relationships and ministries and futures. Uh, but it's also not just a few. You know, this is a huge number of people who are accessing this, exposed to this. Um, and, uh, you know, that was really the catalyst for wanting to start Naked Truth. So Naked Truth aims to open eyes and free lives from the damaging impact of pornography. So we do education in schools. We work with parents, as you've mentioned, uh, but also uh, with churches. And and then we, we work with individuals who are struggling, you know, people who perhaps right now, Phil, there is no hope and there is no help. Um, and so we're working with those people and the partners and spouses of those people to often need support and help and healing as well. So our work is quite broad, but we're focused on that one issue. All right. We are talking with, uh, with Ian Henderson. You can find more information about what we're talking about today at thenakedtruthproject.com. And when we come back, Ian's going to invite us all to participate in an online conference called the P-Word Conference. And you can find information about that at pwordconference.com. We'll be right back. We're talking with Ian Henderson from the Naked Truth Project. You can find it at thenakedtruthproject.com. They provide practical support for those struggling and seeking help from compulsive porn use. And Ian, share with us now about the P-Word Conference, which our listeners can find at pwordconference.com. What's, uh, when, when is it? Why are you doing it? Who's involved? What's happening? Sure, absolutely. Uh, so uh, it's an online event, so an online conference happening at the end of September. So it's the 28th through to the 30th of September. And uh, we have over uh, 40 now um, speakers, world-class communicators from different spheres, really, talking about this issue. So we do have some of those uh, clinical experts, people who, um, psychotherapists and counselors who uh, will be bringing real clear content to 
to talk into how do you help people and walk alongside this issue, but also some uh, others from other spheres as well. So we're really excited to have people like uh, the folk from Exodus Cry, who are in the US nonprofit, who've been doing a lot of work around legislation and campaigning and lobbying to bring some of the porn sites to account. And they'll be sharing some of their stories and some of the significant changes they've seen in the last few months. We, we've got church leaders talking about how they've been tackling this issue in their context, as well as uh, Bible speakers and theologians. And Former porn performers and porn actors will be speaking as well, one whom has now become a church leader himself. And so a real breadth there. We've also got youth experts, uh, people uh, with expertise in working with parents. Uh, and so what we wanted to do uh, here, Carmen, was, was to actually provide churches uh, a, a load of uh, resource and information and tools uh, so that they could begin to, with confidence, talk about this issue more. So when I when I started Naked Truth, uh, it became clear really quickly that pornography was a bit of a taboo subject. I mean, um, just so, so grateful that as a radio station, you're, you're willing to have me come and talk about this issue because you don't hear people say the word pornography very often, do you, uh, on, on, in Christian contexts. And yet, uh, 93% of church leaders say that they recognize that porn is a, a bigger issue than it's ever been before. And yet, of those same leaders, only 7% had any kind Kind of resources or signposting or programs in place to help people who might be concerned or struggling. And so we recognize there is a big gap there uh, that particularly small group leaders, church leaders, youth leaders, parents, people who uh, are maybe thinking about this issue and seeing that this issue is perhaps more, more pervasive than ever but don't necessarily know what to do, uh, maybe also feeling slightly overwhelmed. And so this event really is to try and uh, equip those leaders, equip those parents, equip those individuals to, to understand the issue more, uh, but also know where to go, how to get help, what to do next. All right. For those of you who are listening and you're saying to yourself, Carmen actually uh brings this topic up fairly frequently. Remember, you can okay. circle back around and listen. Well, I'm just saying we re we recently had um, a, a woman on the show who has written a book called It's Not Just You, which is mm -hmm. freeing women uh, in the church to Fantastic. talk about um, pornography. So you guys could, um, you could avail yourselves of that conversation that we had with Ash Ashley Chestnut, which I will just confess to you, Ian, was an uncomfortable conversation for me to have on air. Um, somehow sure. talking about men dealing with pornography is a whole lot easier than talking about women dealing with pornography, particularly when we're talking about in the context of the Christian church, Christian communities, Christian fellowship, Christian families, on and on and on. Why is that? Why am I so much more of a prude talking about pornography in relationship to women than in talking about it in relationship to men? Well, as you as your previous um, contributor, no doubt would have said, I mean, it, it absolutely is an issue that women are dealing with. We we run groups and programs for women who are struggling with porn use. Um, we we recognize that one, there's lots of statistics, but one in three uh, visitors to porn sites reportedly are female. Um, and, and I think 
it is it is an interesting one and you're right i think particularly within the church we have reserved this topic for men you know the the kind of men's ministry the curry nights the the kind of work that we do with with men i remember one of our team who herself struggled with porn as as a teenager and as, and as a young adult uh, and now works in schools and and speaks about pornography um, she says that when she was in church as a young adult in her 20s, she remembered the only time that church talked about pornography, the, the speaker got up and started his talk with saying, well, today, this Sunday, we're going to be talking about porn. So ladies, you can probably just switch off right now. Uh, and there was a bit, it was a bit of a joke, a bit of humor, perhaps breaking the ice. But actually for her as a woman uh, who was struggling with this, who already was carrying a lot of shame around the issue itself, but then this increased shame because she wondered, is there something wrong with me as a woman because I'm struggling with this? That seemed to just confirm all those negative uh, thoughts that she had and some of those lies that she was beginning to believe. And so I think it is a cultural thing for us. Uh, it's certainly... Um, as a, as a church that we need to get get through and, and push through um, because it is without question something that, that women do struggle with and are dealing with. Perhaps the other side as well of this conversation for, for women is um, the partners and spouses of, of users. And again, I think traditionally, um, you know, we we talk to men directly. Are you struggling with this? Um, but we've maybe not had that conversation where we're saying, oh, you know, has, is your husband struggling with this? And how is that affecting not just him? How is that affecting you? Uh, so some of our speakers at this P Word conference, for example, are experts in trauma and in particular betrayal trauma and working alongside the healing process, what God wants to be doing to set uh, people free from some of the hurt and, and pain that being being a partner of a user can cause as well. And so absolutely this is affects women in, in so many different ways. Um, but but it is interesting, like, like you say, that the conversation uh, seems, if it's happening at all, it's happening perhaps with men. And that's hopefully something that uh, this conference can start to change and help leaders think about. All right, let me encourage you, if you're listening right now, go to pwordconference.com. Think about, um, consider sending your pastor and or other members of your church staff to this online P-Word conference. Um, consider how beneficial it could be for you to host a small group of men and women or couples or leaders from your church to attend this online conference together so that you guys can process together the information that you're hearing and how you could um, address the very complex issue of pornography, its effects not only on individuals, but on our families, in our congregations, and on our ministry writ large. So pwordconference.com. You can find Ian at thenakedtruthproject.com. Ian Henderson, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Great. Really good to be involved. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you. Thank you for all you're doing every day. We'll be right back. All right. uh, Listener Marina asking for all of us to be praying today. So let's be doing that. Marina, our prayers are being lifted up for you. God would uh, physically touch your body as you battle COVID. Also prayers for your sweet mom, lifting her up as well today. Let's be lifting up one another in prayer. We are, um, we're a listening community. We're a family here at Faith Radio. 
You're a part of it, and so am I. I count on your prayers, and I know you're praying for me. I receive those prayers. Um, I appreciate them. Um, I acknowledge the power of God to uh, equip, inspire, motivate, protect, guide, provide, on and on and on. And I lift you up in those same ways each and every day. And so if you ever want to share a prayer concern, you can do so with us at MyFaithRadio.com. You can do so on the text line if you um, if you so desire. Um, we'd love to hear from you. We'd also love to hear your faith story, you know, how Faith Radio has affected your life, how it has changed the way you think about things or changed the way maybe you do something or approach conversations. You can share your faith story by calling one mm-hmm. it's the same number isn't it paul yes it 877- is 877-933-2484 and when you get to the phone tree you know ask which button just press the one for the faith line faith line you're looking for the faith line yeah. at 877-933-2484 all right friends take a deep breath today um, breathe in god's grace and then share it with the world have a great weekend and god bless Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.